individual contributors that are star designers that are the best designers in the world won't necessarily make the best manager it might be that the things that make you a, a very strong designer will hinder your performance as a manager Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of Honest UX Talks. My name is Anfisa, and I'm joined today by Iowana to talk about another juicy and interesting topic. And the topic is micromanagement at work environment or in your office or of your work, <laughs> whatever context it is. Now, this question is also coming like the previous conversation we had from one of our listeners, Daniela. Thank you so much for submitting your questions. And by the way, if you also have a specific situation you're dealing with, feel free to submit your question right under this episode. If you're listening in Spotify, um, you will find the card with the question, which topics should be we talking about in the next episodes? Otherwise, you can also find a free or anonymous form under this episode and submit your question there. Before we start actually discussing the topic, I would also like to ask how was your last week, Joanna? How are you doing? And maybe you would also say who is our sponsor of our podcast? Hi, dear listener, and thanks for joining. I'm gonna go ahead and thank Spline for supporting our UX conversations. Spline is a 3D design tool, and I've been talking about them quite a lot since I'm their uh, brand and educational partner and that's that's a great role to have yeah you'll be hearing me talk more about 3d design which is not necessarily so strongly related to ux but but it is a very creative and interesting field to explore and for me uh what was always very important was to try out new areas new fields new crafts learn things and so this is a great opportunity for me to expand my knowledge <laughs> if you want i think it's a great side project sort of thing because as creators usually i can see that a lot of designers are looking for new extra skills side projects hobby projects and plan is really great for your side project yeah. or hobby <laughs> yeah absolutely that says it even better than i was trying to say it so thank you so much Anfi. yeah now in terms of how my past week went to be completely transparent, since these are honest UX talks, I'm pretty low on energy and I find it very difficult to concentrate and I'm in a very holiday-ish kind of mood and I think it's because summer is right around the corner and my brain was sort of programmed in my childhood that when summer comes, it's holiday. We don't have to study anymore. School's over. Let's meet again in September. And so... I think my brain kind of anticipates that joy of being free, but I'm not free. I have a lot of work to do. So there's a conflict between what I want to do and what I have to do. And that keeps me like a bit under the weather. Like most of the time I'm a bit, I wouldn't say depressed, but I'm like very low on motivation and energy because my internal drive says, just, just go in your car and leave and go for the seaside and have fun and that's it you, you did a good year <laughs> but it's not the end of the year obviously. i am on the same boat honestly and i totally feel you as my brain is also telling me right now like hey mom it's a vacation time go out do something woohoo sunny days <laughs> why are you sitting and wasting your time I'm totally, totally feeling you on that. <laughs> I'm happy I'm not the only one. And even in our boot camp, we see students kind of getting in this mood that it's summer and that they're more break ishy. <laughs> so I think everyone experiences it. And I've been talking to other designers and other people in general. And I think it has to do with the pandemic burnout that right now, because we don't have to stress so much about the COVID and getting sick and protecting others because things are more relaxed in most places of the world. I think we're like, now I can breathe, now I can do things. 
Now I can go on holiday without stressing over getting COVID and going to hospital if I choose to like go to a concert. And so it's like everybody wants to enjoy a mental break these days. So I think this is what's going on. And plus, still scared. I'm still scared to like even think that you don't have to prepare a bunch of documents, take your vaccination, whatever certificate. And like, I'm like thinking, I still have this traumatized PTSD. <laughs> Sort of, yes. It's kind of like a bit easy. Like you're going out, but I feel guilty for going, let's say, to the pool because maybe there are sick people there and I need to have all the documentation and make sure I don't, I'm not sick. I need to make a PCR test and stuff like this. I'm still having like those reservations inside of me. Oh, it's so bugging, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. But yeah, I mean, it's not, I don't have any real issues, so I can't really complain. How about you? <laughs> How was your week? My last week was actually fine. Nothing specifically new, I guess. Just, you know, work as usual. Really, really busy at work. I'm actually going to a sort of vacation next week. It's a conference Asian. <laughs> That's the word. But I'm going to Berlin from Prague to visit into design system conference, which is super, super exciting because I am very much into design systems. I think this year is called the future of design systems. And this is not a promotion or anything. I'm just saying because I'm really, really excited about it. And, and yeah, I'm going to Berlin for like five days. It's going to be super exciting. I will also have my birthday there. So, and we are going with my husband and, and a dog on the car. So it should be fun. <laughs> I'm very excited about it. It's kind of partly vacation. And as for this week in general, yeah, so I had to finish a lot of sort of projects to hand off before this week off. And usually in startup, if you're a week off, it's like a lot of, a lot of stress because you have to, to provide um, the work or the handoff for so many small things. So you, you really have to stress out before going out. I also wanted to say that, so I recently added to my website uh, a little widget that now allows people to book one-on-one hours or half an hour with me. So this is something new and exciting. I'm finally ready or feeling more ready or open to to talk one-on-one -on -one with some of the people who need the help or advice on their design journey so yes if you're feeling like you're stuck in your portfolio or maybe you're stuck in a specific situation you can now just book half an hour an hour with me and you can find the widget on my website anfisign.design yay <laughs> that's all i wanted to say before we start talking about the topic that's great um, i'm gonna book my place <laughs> oh yes of course <laughs> of course you do you're the first one always <laughs> Let's actually dive right into the topic. So I will start this conversation from a message from our listener. And here is what she has to say, what the problem that she's experiencing. And then we can start unpacking this problem into specific kind of questions, I guess. So she's saying that her manager and a brand designer are changing the design partially or even completely in Figma. So let's imagine a situation you're working into something, you're working in a flow, you're handing it over for the review, and then without specific sort of agreement, maybe, or there isn't a process probably established, the branding designers or the manager will start tearing it apart. That's how I see it. <laughs> or maybe improving it. But again, the problem is that she, as an IC, individual contributor, doesn't feel, I guess, very good about it because you're working under something and then everything you did is not really being built or kind of scrapped. It kind of creates a frustration, right? Because you want your work to be seen, you you have this creative arch, and then if it is just not ever being built, you might start feeling a little bit discouraged. So that's a situation that I think not just this, our listener is facing, but also some of us might be facing in our work environments. I also have gone through that. So my first question to you, Ioana, would be why today in 2022, micromanagement is still a problem and how exactly could it impact us 
individual contributors on a daily basis? What could be the implications of working with micromanagement working styles? So I think there are two angles to unpack. The first one is why is it still a problem? And the second one, how does it impact us? So I think it's still a problem because I think the industry hasn't yet reached a level where because of a high design maturity and a design maturity of the team, individual contributors are able to pursue rewarding careers and keep growing even if they choose not to transition into a management role. So in most companies, the only way to grow and to feel like you're advancing your career is by switching from an IC a role to management role. And many people do that switch just to grow. But in reality, they're not good managers. So it's completely different skill set that's required to be a good manager from being a good designer. Now, I do believe that a good design manager has to have a design background because he has to understand the grassroots of solving design problems and even using the tools and being immersed in the problem space. You have to have that foundation to be a good manager, but not everyone that has that foundation can be a good manager. So there's another set of skills that makes you a good manager. And I think that we see it again and again that people who are very good designers, the best designers, they would be great as design leads. They're pushed into management roles or they choose to pursue management roles as an option for growing their career. And then they fail because either they're not ready or it's just not what makes them happy or the things that made them a very good designer, like being very detail oriented and being a bit nervous about having everything pixel perfect, then that makes them bad managers because they want to see everything pixel perfect, but maybe the person that's uh, reporting to them is not that kind of person. And, and so that causes tension and so on. So maybe the, the very things that made you a very strong designer as an IC are enabling you to fail as a manager. So I think that's why we see that still, but what we'll get to how things might get better in the future or what I think should happen to change that and what it can cause on an individual level is a very high level of stress. <laughs> and it's, it's a very poignant feeling of being an imposter or not being good enough, or it stirs a lot of self-doubt, a lot of insecurity. And I think that it's a, it's a pretty toxic situation to be in. I think it's hurting everyone. Even the product is hurt because if you're not allowed to do your job right, and of course you do need feedback, guidance. It's not like what uh, an individual contributor does is perfect, will always be perfect, and it's no improvement. Please don't chime in. But I do think that there needs to be some sort of guidance, challenging and everything. But the way in which you do that can make a huge difference between making it a healthy environment and making it a toxic relationship. So that's that's my answer. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I totally agree with like the fact that it could become a very not productive environment, kind of, like you said, toxic environment. It is true that it's very easy to start being caught up into it and like start kind of building up wrong impressions frustration, discouragement, and like, and just, it leads to miscommunication, misunderstanding, and maybe at some point it's just too much to bear. It's almost like with a relationship, you have to really work on it. It's something that you cannot just go with the flow and hope everything will be fine. Because in fact, if there are problems like this, you start losing trust. There is lack of communication apparently. And when there is a lack of trust, it kind of leads you to you know, again, like sometimes even gossip culture, which is very, very toxic, let's be honest. So you, in a perfect scenario, you would want to avoid this and would probably want to build a relationship with your manager.
managers, be more open, stay up to date with what's going on and expect from your manager guidance, not a directive feedback, but more of a, of a critique, right? But in a, in a, in a positive way, we discussed in, in one of the episodes, what is it actually uh, actionable critique that helps you to understand the impact and the implications of your decisions, or maybe even challenge you, ask you a question in a way that you understand what could be done better. That, that is what I believe many designers would expect from the perfect manager. But like you said, we are still living in the imperfect working environment world where sometimes great designers were transitioning to the management career track. And let's be very honest again, it's a different story completely. Though those designers might have been really great designers, may have been super advanced, educated, smart, whatever, really great at making design decisions. When they start from square one in the management track, that does mean that they have to start from scratch and not always they would have all the needed soft skills or awareness to understand that they might be doing some mistakes. Like we discussed in the previous episodes, right? Especially if you have like 10 plus years of experience, sometimes you tend to, I guess, be very confident and not necessarily open for the criticism and feedback. But sometimes, in fact, it could lead to situations where you as a design manager can be a little bit more defensive, not being able to delegate, not being able to trust people, knowing that you can do it better. And in fact, you can be doing it better as a designer, but in the management shoes, you are not here to do the work anymore. So your goal right now is to support your individual contributors, help them, guide them, etc., etc. So that's the situation we are sometimes dealing with. I personally went through this. It is very, very toxic. Now let's actually unpack the micromanagement concept a bit more. And for those of you who are still transitioning to design or maybe have never been experienced in it, let's try to kind of indicate what could be the signs of micromanagement. And the second follow-up question to this, again, sorry for splitting the question into two parts, but uh, what are the signs of the micromanagement? But also, can you spot those signs, especially uh, during the job hunting process? Maybe that could help you as a designer to make a better decisions, whether this company is for you or not. Very good question. Just as a disclaimer, just set the context. I've had this experience myself as well to, of being micromanaged by a designer and I've been through everything bad that this kind of situation generates. So looking back, I've reflected on the signs that were there. Maybe there were telltales. Of course, in the beginning, you think that you're doing something wrong. You feel that it's, it's your mistake. Maybe you're not good enough. Maybe you're not communicating your design decisions good enough. Maybe the system you're going for is not right and so on. So, but after that, you realize, especially if you see it happening with other people as well, you realize that it's a personality issue or a, like a behavioral issue that's not in your court, if you want. So if you can spot it in the interviewing process, I think there might be some signs. So the first, I think a common trait, it's not a rule, but I think that a common trait of people who tend to be micromanagers, if you would give them a personality test, they would probably score quite high on anxiety. I think that if you have a manager that in the interviewing process seems to be a bit agitated, of course, there's no rule, but it could be a sign. If they seem like a person who's fighting anxiety and a bit even controlling, even in the interviewing process, even when, I don't know, booking the hour, the whole vibe, if the vibe of that person is riddled with anxiety, because micromanagement is actually an anxiety disorder, if you ask me. So it stems from the fact that they don't trust themselves enough, so they can't trust others. And so they're 
they're pretty much afraid that they're making mistakes or that their team is making mistakes and that that would make them look bad in front of their bosses or the VP or whatever, the CEO. And so it's actually an anxiety malady, if you want. So if you can spot signs of anxiety early on, then there could be a correlation. Of course, it's not a rule. And another thing that you might be doing to make sure that you're gaining as much insight into the team as possible is to ask them about their workflow, the current workflow, the current process, how handoff is happening, how is feedback organized, handled? Are there critique sessions or is it just I give you feedback in your Figma file, leave some comments or, or change things for you? So maybe ask that as well and see what kind of responses. Of course, everybody can fabricate and everybody can say anything. They can describe an ideal process and you end up getting there and discovering that there is no match between what was described and the reality. But it doesn't hurt to kind of try to get more insight, some things might be there, right? Like they would say, oh, but because I want to have the final word, I and then maybe that's a tricky line to hear and then red flag, it could happen. So try to have a conversation about that. I think these are my two pieces of advice. What do you think? Basically, I guess takeaway here is you can notice it in the person, especially if you can see that they're obsessing with small things or like tend to be controlling a little bit, even like during the hiring process, maybe when you're presenting your project, your case study, you can kind of spot it in the questions. That's a very, very good point. As for me, when it comes to actual work already, like let's say you started working and then you realize that you were sort of misled during the interview and the process is not as perfect as it was described. And so if you start working and you realize that, hmm, something isn't right, here are the signs uh, that I would try to look out for. First is some sort of resistance to delegation, because usually people who are obsessed with controlling and making sure everything is perfect, those people would tend to do that themselves. And in fact, they can actually do it better than you. It's very normal that, again, like I said already previously, the great designers at some point tend to switch the career track to being a manager without necessarily realizing that now they are not designers anymore. They're starting from scratch and then their design background could help them guiding you, but not necessarily doing it. And that's when the whole problem starts growing from. And so when they resist delegating, when they tend to do that themselves, or like our listener said, you did a design, you hand it off, and then tomorrow you're seeing that it's a completely different thing because in the night they sit and make it differently. Maybe they improved it. However, it was not in a guided way. It didn't give you any feedback. It didn't help you to grow. Eventually they did design instead of basically both wasted time. They as manager didn't grow because they didn't help you growing and you as a designer didn't learn from it anything, right? So it's, it's a problem for the company eventually. And that also is a sign that this manager is maybe not a good manager just yet. They need to, whatever, take some courses, get a feedback, get somebody guiding them, et cetera, et cetera. So delegation is one of the big, big, big red flags for me. Maybe also sometimes like I call it backseat driving or actually I've heard it from one of our previous colleagues. So there is this term in US called backseat driving when let's say you're doing something. So you're driving the car, you're trying to driving the project, but they would start overlooking and overseeing what's going on and trying to ask a lot of questions. And sometimes it could, could be even destructful because you can see that those questions are coming from the place of lack of trust and making sure that everything is perfect because if they were doing it, they would make sure that's perfect, but they are hoping that you would make it perfect. Now they're like backseat driving you, I guess. So that is another sign that did happen to me a few times. 
I would say. <laughs> um, maybe start correcting tiny details instead of looking at the big picture. So sometimes, again, what happened to me was that very, very high level management designer in, in our design team would actually start doing icons. And you would be like, why would the person that is responsible for a bigger picture and unblocking the design team and I guess more empowering design team is doing icons? right? That doesn't make sense anymore. So those small details are a very, very big fat red flags. As for me, talking about now the hiring process, right? The second part of the question and when you maybe can spot those signs. Apparently, because you didn't work together yet, it will be much harder. And like you said, there is no rule that will tell you that if this person is a little bit anxious, most likely they will be micromanaging you. But I really like how you always tie things to the root of the problem, the psychology. And I agree with you that you would have to look up out for more of this psychological science rather than specifically working together and recognizing you know how how it feels because it's going to be impossible until you start working so yeah your your ability Joanna, to always find the root of the problem in the psychology is really really great advocacy for actually <laughs> studying yourself and learning psychology or even working as a psychotherapist that's exactly where it stems from it's actually from yeah. my own work doing therapy for the past eight years so i've been trying to understand myself which is the hardest part and then the ones around me which is impossible my partner my parents my <laughs> probably i'll be doing therapy to understand my daughter so but essentially trying to understand me so yeah i i think if i ever get bored by design i'm gonna become a psychologist don't get bored by design <laughs> can you be my manager <laughs> I would be super lucky to have you as my manager. Anyways, <laughs> let, let's move on to the next question. As we discussed already why this is happening and what are the signs of micromanagement and we established that, yes, indeed, it is happening sometimes today. What can the IC actually do in the situation when they realized, okay, here's what they have to deal with right now? What maybe are some of the constructive ways, any tips that we can share with our listeners, especially those who are dealing with it right now? And also, by the way, little at point to this, our listener also mentioned that they tried to confront uh, their manager. So the manager is aware about this problem and it worked for a few, I don't know, months, but then it, it repeated. It, it started coming back again and then it's again the same problem. So the listener was asking, should they be also reconfronting them again? What are the ways to deal with it, right? So confronting itself is a very straightforward answer, but how can they make it more effective, right? Let's, let's try to unpack this part also. Let's do that. Well, I would have started with confrontation, obviously, but I understand that. So typically this is the first step, I think, or not necessarily the first step, but it's an important step. It's the key step, if you want, in trying to solve the problem from your side. Because the thing is that you're not the one who needs to solve the problem. So many people empower themselves or they like put the the weight on their shoulder to fix things to make things better to solve the issue when in fact they're not the ones who should be fighting for that i'm in the psychological mood today sorry but it's like when you have a bad relationship with a toxic person and then you keep trying to fix that person but it's not your job to fix them it's their job to fix themselves you can't fix them even if you could you can't <laughs> so so it's like waste complete energy waste and I think it's the same with bad managers. I think you can do so much and you can like walk some miles towards them and try to meet them halfway if you want. But if they're not open and if if their work is not consistent, if sometimes they have to step down. I mean, sometimes it's not about fixing. It's just about like in this case, you've confronted this person. They know 
they're aware. That means they tried to fix things, which means they agree that it's an issue since they try to fix it. And then it keeps coming back. They can't sustain the effort of being different than they are. So maybe it's time to admit that I'm not cut out for that. It happened in my family. I also have another personal uh, story from my family. So my mother, she was working in a sales job. And she was an overperformer. She was incredible. She was like in top 10 per country from thousands of people. She was amazing at sales. And she had stellar career at that moment. She was the star of the company and everything. And so people thought that it's natural to keep her engaged, to keep her. So they promoted her into a management role. And then that's where things started to like shake. And then her career went to pieces because she couldn't sustain a management role because she wasn't a good people manager. She was very good at selling. She was a very good IC, but she wasn't good at managing people. And it became increasingly hard for her to admit that her team started to like leave. She felt demotivated, depressed. She felt like she's in a career turning point. And then she couldn't ever recover that drive and motivation that she had for many years up to that point. And then things didn't go as well for her in the next couple of years. So the point is that sometimes you just have to admit that this is not right for you and not keep pushing into hurting others and the environment and doing work that's not management work with the title of a manager. Because the thing is that, like you said, these people typically spend their time doing style guides, doing icons, doing wireframes and things like very detailed, switching, uh, I don't know, fonts on screens and whatever. So they're not doing management too much because they don't like it. And they feel, I think deep down, they realize that they're not good at it. So where I'm trying to get at is that at some point, at, at many points, I mean, at all points, it's up for, for to that person to admit that I'm not cut out for this and maybe I should step down. And it's not a defeat. It's just actually it's a win for everyone, for myself included, because I get to do more work that I like. That's one thing. And in terms of other ways of addressing it, confrontations and one thing, if things are really, really bad and it's a toxic environment and you don't want to consider leaving the company, which is also an option, you can start looking for other jobs because you don't want to like be unhappy because nobody's doing something to change the way that team is toxic. You could start looking for other jobs, but if you don't want that or if you feel like you want to remain and you like the product, you like the rest of the team, you like things, you could take it with HR as well. That's one thing to go about it. So have a conversation with whoever is HR or maybe even their manager or the CEO or whatever, depending on the company size and how accessible these people are. It's not like you're whistleblowing because you've confronted them, right? So you've had the first step towards solving the problem. You did it and it didn't work out. And and so you need support. Another thing that I would do is try to agree on a process. Because when you agree on a process, you can always refer to that process. And nobody will say, my process needs to be micromanagement. Send me the Figma files and then I will change things. This is what I want the process to be. Nobody will say they want that. So if you tell them, okay, what's the process? Well, the process is that we have design critiques and then you're the one who needs to adjust and incorporate the feedback. Okay, that's the process. And then you can always call them out for not respecting it when they go in your Figma file and change things and do whatever. So agree on a process, make it transparent, make it public, let the whole team know that that's the process. Maybe even people outside the team, it's easier for you to hold them accountable when things are not going as agreed together. So this is a very important point. Put it on paper if you want, just like a contract, right? Because then it's easier to measure when you're off the contract. So I think these would be my small bites of advice. How about yours? <laughs>
Yeah, I love those points. And I do have a lot to add to those, actually building up based on those. I would say that there are two ways to go about it. And it really depends on how far things are bad already, <laughs> how much they are in a bad state. Uh, if it's been happening for a while and you've never been able to confront it and now the trust is really not there, it's going to be very, very hard to fix the situation. It's, it's going to be a long, long work where both sides, you and your manager, would need to work on this. If you're in a better place when you're still able to reestablish the trust, I guess, almost start from scratch, forget about what happened, but be able to be open and again, try other ways to work together, then it's actually a much better place to work and, and kind of make it more effective together. Like you said, and like uh, I think our listener also did, definitely the best way to, to start from it is to confront. Depending on what kind of relationships you have, it would be great to have this trust for the environment in which you can not accuse anybody and not come harden them, but really more of a explain your position, how you feel, how it impacts your productivity, efficiency, and how it eventually then impacts the whole company, right? So it would be really awesome if you can be honest and candid, but not accusive in that conversation. I mean, that's definitely great thing to do in boss contexts when it's been happening for a while and it's very hard to un unlock those relationships. And then when it's still in the beginning, that's like definitely step one always. But again, if you're in a situation where when the relationship is still easy to fix, I would say, then like Yona said, I think it's a very good approach to start building a better plan, set the right expectations, maybe start from the Kiko workshop when everybody could agree on their roles and the manager would not even necessarily be a part of the project, but they would always be involved and understand what's going on there. Maybe again, there are steps that you are taking and you just want to inform your uh, manager about the steps you're going through, especially make sure you have one-on-ones with your manager every week, preferably where you can discuss your challenges, the progress, the updates. If it is, let's say, in different time zones, you can also use some sort of Loom or Sloom. We also call it Slack Looms when you can record updates. For example, right now I'm working with, with the PM who is in Australia, so we literally have no overlap in the working hours. However, I feel like it's very, very cool how we can collaborate through this Loom recording. So I would work on something, I would record the progress, and the next morning he wakes up, he gives me the feedback, and so the next day at work and sometimes we would have like a little half an hour crossover so we can actually jump on a discussion if needed so I think even like remotely with a very different time zones, it could still work if both people are open to it and can kind of adjust to this work style. But for sure, like setting the clear expectations, having the plan and always being able to update the manager or whoever you're working with is hyper important because that way you start building trust. That way the manager starts understanding you, who you are as a person, as a designer, how you work, how you think what kind of challenges you might be going through, where you usually get stuck or maybe where you have frictions or creative block or whatever, and help you preventing this from happening, help you giving your resources, suggestions, tips, maybe support you when needed or in moments when you need real candid feedback, give you that feedback, right? So I guess I'm leading towards the notion that the trust is very, very important in those relationships, specifically with your manager. And I do always, for example, when I'm looking for a next job, I always make sure the manager I have, I can trust this person, that I can build those relationships with this person. For me, it's just like a chemistry test. And if I don't feel like there is a chemistry, it will be very, very hard for me to build this relationship. It would be an extra effort, which you don't usually want to have in an already pretty demanding job. And if, let's say, 
again, you're still like in a process where you can establish the trust or can establish your strong sites. This is the next tip already. You can try to establish your strong sites. For example, if your communication with your manager is not good enough yet, if you're just getting there, if you're establishing it, like you're starting a new job and you're trying to build it, I think it's important for you to establish your strong sites or sort of your strengths or superpower area where you kind of have to claim your strong sites or superpowers, right? For example, you need to have, be aware that everybody is very different. Everybody thinks differently. If you would, for example, run a design critique in your team of five people, you would see how everybody has different perspective to add. Somebody would be very detail oriented and UI and interactions. Somebody would be very big picture thing. Somebody would be asking questions about data. So everybody has very different angles to contribute. And you need to know what's your angle, what's your strong side. And so at least you will be able to claim that you're not like wasting anybody's time. You have a lot to add to that team and, and you have your own perspective. Maybe you're not good at something. It's very important to also establish with your, your manager what are the things that you would like to improve. Maybe the visual side is still not there yet. Maybe you're working on it. Maybe you're having some career growth plan, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a different conversation. But I'm just saying that knowing your worth and your strengths and also make ensure that your manager knows it would a help you to build a trustworthy relationship when everybody is aligned and understanding really what's going on in the team and also make you feel a bit better i guess yeah i don't know if that's the right way to say but you got it okay well, i hope <laughs> and another thing maybe besides confronting them is also to maybe in the beginning of your relationship with your manager somehow hint them how you like to be managed i guess i don't know if that's a right way to put it but explain what you expect from the relationship with your manager explain how do you think you can benefit from having those relationships with a manager? And if you in immediately, before the situation even happened, you already established and said, like, I'm expecting you to help me with this and this areas because I do feel like I'm lacking the experience there and maybe you can help me with those areas, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe again, that could give your manager a boost or guide them as well to help you rather than fix you. You know what I mean? Fix for you. I would say let's wrap it up. My top three takeaways. So my first one is that individual contributors that are star designers, that are the best designers in the world, won't necessarily make the best managers. So I think this is like a cautionary tale for companies and for people that tend to promote the best designer into a management role, that it's no rule that if you're a very good designer, you're going to be a good manager. On the contrary, I think there's little connection. Sometimes it's even that if you're the best designer, you're probably not going to be a very good manager because you're very detail oriented, you're very nitty gritty, nitpicking and so on. So it might be that the things that make you a very good, a very strong designer will hinder your performance as a manager. And I think that the main thing that companies should do and everyone in general, just find your strengths and play on them. So if you're a very strong designer, try to find companies that offer a career ladder where you can grow and feel uh, satisfied and feel fulfilled without needing to transition into a management role to experience that growth feeling. But I think this is something that we'll see when design industry starts maturing overall and companies have more clear, articulated career ladders for their employees and you won't need to feel that pressure. Okay, this is one point. The other point is on an individual level. I've experienced micromanagement in a very aggressive way, I felt like 
everything that I propose, Devon, initiatives, uh, ways of working, new processes, how to like collaborate better with other cross-functional teams and everything. So everything that I said was taken like an aggression from my side. Like uh, that means, so if she's proposing a process for our team, it means that I'm in- incompetent and it means that I didn't articulate a good or didn't articulate a process at all. So it's like, I'm not doing a good job as a manager. So that's what she's saying when she comes up with the process. So for me, whatever I tried doing was like an aggression was perceived as an aggression or some sort of guilt thing towards that person when it really wasn't the case. I was just trying to do my job as good as possible and to show initiative and to do things. I I didn't feel like I should be boxed and not say anything other than just being Figma all day and do design. If that's the case, maybe like you said, an important takeaway here would be to like discuss it up front, discuss the terms of your collaboration, discuss expectations, discuss how you view utility from your role. What do you want your role to be? What do you want your contribution to be? And then also understand what's their expectation and how much autonomy you're going to have. And if you can't live without autonomy, then maybe that's not the right place for you. And so that's second thing. And then the third thing would be, it's something that probably some people might view as a failure or as running from problems, but sometimes you just have to leave that toxic world behind because it's not your job to fix people. I mean, we should all try to do that. Not turn your back at the first sign that something becomes uncomfortable or it's not working. I think we should sit there and try to fix things, but it's not our job to fix people. And if it's doing you more harm than good, and if your mental health is starting to be affected, even after you've tried to address this problem openly, then maybe it's time to consider a new job and who knows, more satisfying uh, opportunities. What are your top three findings? Love your points as usual. (laughs) My takeaways actually would be pretty straightforward. So first would be, like you said, try to fix things first. So from the get-go, understand each other better, build trust, contribute towards trust, make sure you have the relationship with this person so that you both know where each of you coming from and where your weak sides and where your strong sides and you can actually leverage those in your relationship not just attack fix and do instead of each other's work you know like which is not effective for a company and for you as the as the role in the company the second takeaway would be also to try to be proactive from the beginning letting the manager or whoever else know how you like to be managed if you are being managed or also letting them know if you're not feeling good about this relationship or conversation you're having or the processes you're having. I do think that that's the best you can do from your side because you, like you said, Ioana, you cannot fix people. You can only help them becoming a better version of their role or their of themselves, I guess, but not fix them. You are not empowered for doing that. The third one, and also pretty straight to the point, is the communication is always the key, right? So being able to set the clear expectations have the plan, even though the plan is usually going wrong, but that's not a key key here is that everybody is aligned, know what's going on and update uh, whoever you're working with and maybe even share the challenges. So that person, instead of fixing for you, can always prevent issues from happening or guide you or give you the actionable feedback rather than directive feedback or the toxic feedback. (laughs) So that would be my last takeaway. And I guess that is it for from us for today, right? 
I guess that's it. Yes. Cool. Thank you everyone for listening. We appreciate every listen. And if you want to show appreciation right back, <laughs> maybe leave us a review on any platform you're listening on and you can submit ideas for future episodes. We want to discuss things that have to do with your real experience as a designer in the field. So please submit ideas and follow us on Instagram, Honest UX Talks. Thank you so much for listening and hope to see you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you.